0: Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Jason. Yes, brain bath, bed bath, brain dead. Jason brain, is brain, here. Brain,
2: brain bath and beyond. Yes,
0: Jason. Uh, Megan is out sick this week, so Jason has graciously filled in for him, which I'm very appreciative of. So that I wasn't playing with myself today. You're
2: welcome. I'm happy to watch. I mean, listen. <laughs>
0: shake our great, great Okay, and before we get started, so Jason, what we have planned today is uh, one of our private investigator friends, Tim Corbett. We're going to have him on, talk about his 2023 cases, um, some of them that he's solved, talk about his private eye business a little bit. But before we get to that, I have a very important case update. If, if any of you guys have followed us long enough, you know, a um, while ago, we did an episode with Renee and Steve Patton. They are the parents of Morgan Patton. And this has just been a case that has, this is like when somebody asks me, and actually in an interview um, last week, somebody did ask me, what is a case that always just really sticks with you? For me, it's Morgan's case. And Um, So we have an update, and I promised listeners when we had Steve and Renee on that when when there was an update, we would provide it. So we're going to do that uh, real quick. And this is from Steve's own email to us. I'm just going to read it word for word, and then we will get on with the interview with uh, Mr. Corbett. Awesome. He says, hello, ladies. Renee and I are back home in New Hampshire following a whirlwind week in Onslaught County, North Carolina. As you know, on Monday, November 20th, one week before the trial of Hunter Wells was scheduled to begin, the prosecutor notified us that he, quote, made an offer that Wells will likely accept, end quote. On the eve of Thanksgiving, we were informed that Wells accepted the offer and the trial was canceled. A sentencing hearing was scheduled for 11 November 28th instead. Nine impact statements were read into the record by their authors and 14 more presented to the judge for review. We were surrounded by three full rows of Morgan Patton supporters, many of whom traveled between five and a thousand, 500 and 1,000 miles to be in attendance, along with several Onslaught County residents who never met Morgan, but have grown to love her. The district attorney issued a press release on the day before the hearing, inviting reporters and cameras for the hearing. Despite the defendant being there to plead guilty to felony death by vehicle and felonious serious injury by vehicle, the prosecutor spent much of his time and effort declaring that Morgan had not been kidnapped. He told the court and reporters that all three had been drinking heavily, yet never mentioned that Morgan's BAC was determined to be between .01 and .015. He showed a photo of a book found in the truck, which we had never seen before, indicating that Morgan even had her book with her in the truck. The problem is, that was not Morgan's book. The book she was reading was in her hotel room. The book from the photo, I might add, was taken by Wells and his family when they cleared out the truck after the crash. He showed a photo retrieved from Wells' phone of the three together, stating that investigators believe that the photo was taken inside Wells' truck. I've spent hours staring at this horrible photo, as others have, and cannot figure out where it may have been taken, but I don't see any indication that it was inside a vehicle. It was all orchestrated by the DA for the benefit of the cameras, which he invited. If all officials in Onslaught County were as thorough, thoughtful, and professional as Superior Court Judge Robert Rope, our experience over the past four years would have been remarkably better. Wells pled guilty to the two felony charges, and all of the misdemeanor charges were dropped. The punishment, according to the deal, is as follows. Felony death, minimum 38 months and a maximum of 58 months in a North Carolina adult corrections facility. Felony serious injury, minimum 16 months and maximum of 39 months in a North Carolina adult uh, corrections facility. Suspended upon completion of 24 months supervised probation in his home state of West Virginia. Sentences will be served consecutively. Judge Rope added the following, Wells will be required to perform 240 hours of community service prior to being released from probation. That's 10 years for each year of Morgan's life. 10 hours, excuse me. 10 hours for each year of Morgan's life. Wells will be prohibited from using alcohol or other substances until the completion of his probation. If Wells is caught with alcohol or other substances in his system, he will be immediately detained without bond and returned to North Carolina where he will serve the remainder of his sentence. I was nearing the end of our 20-hour drive home from North Carolina, somewhere near Hartford, Connecticut, listening to the most recent episode of Crime Curious Podcast when, once again, the tears began to roll. Hearing both of your voices commenting about the effort of Morgan's story on yourself, the effect of Morgan's story on yourselves, and hearing that you have kept up to date on the progress of her case was incredibly heartwarming. Thank you. The two of you, along with thousands of others who have shared their support, are the strength that keeps us pushing for the truth, and the truth what we need to move forward. With sincere gratitude, Steve Patton. So I read that several times. I cried every time I read it. And then it took me about three days to even be able to respond to him. Um, Just so uh, to refresh our listeners' memories, or maybe if this is your first episode of Crime Curious and you haven't heard Morgan's story yet, this is the beautiful young girl who was visiting her military fiancé on a base in North Carolina, and she was scheduled to, to meet him at the base the next morning. She was staying in a hotel room the night before. She was in contact with her lovely parents that whole evening. She was eating at an Applebee's that was in the parking lot of the hotel. And the next thing that Steve and Renee know is they're getting a, a knock at their door um, saying that their daughter had been killed in a horrific car accident. And they were very confused because she was in, in supposed to be in a hotel room. And it, her purse, everything was left at that Applebee's. Her bill went unpaid. Um, there is strong, and I do mean strong if you haven't listened to the case, indication that she had been kidnapped. And there was, uh, a, they were on a, her and two gentlemen, and I use that word so very loosely, um, were traveling at a high rate of speed she was in the vehicle and it crashed and she was thrown from the vehicle and killed and or actually murdered is a better statement to make and uh, there was a gun in the vehicle um, there was no reason she didn't know these two there was no reason she didn't know anybody around there she was just there to visit her fiance, and um this this case has just really really stuck with me for obvious reasons. We know that sh- the bartender had watched her. She was she would left her meal and whatnot to go to the bathroom, and there was a door near the women's restroom at that particular Applebee's, and so it was it's absolutely plausible that she had been taken against her will out that back door because she did not leave out the front. Um. So that that's just an update of where we're at now. They um, the prosecutor. Decided not to go after a kidnapping or murder charge, and so that's where we're at, and um, at least currently right now, uh, Mr. Wells is waking up in prison every morning, and so there's there's that, but it is certainly not for the actions that the family and a lot of, of Morgan Patton supporters believe that he should be in there for, and the other man that was in the vehicle has had no charges come against him as well, so... There's, there is that update, and, um, you know, if there anything else comes to fruition of that, I will, con- of course, continue to keep you updated. But as I told Steven and, and Renee, um, Crime Curious prayers and hearts are always with you guys. So thank you for sharing Morgan's story, and we are happy to do our part to keep her beautiful spirit alive. So, all right, on to our interview with Mr. Corbett. Hey Tim, it's Charnell. How are you?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Good. So I have um, one of our co-hosts, that guest stars, once in a while. Jason, the on with us, Megan, unfortunately, discovered this afternoon. Her and her daughter have COVID. <laughs>
1: The, boy they've had kind of a tough time
0: you know they really have it's just been a, an issue for her this fall but
1: well it's pretty rough but yeah. at least she's alive to complain about that's
0: it that's right exactly so we have um our listeners affectionately called jason brain bath jason because you,
2: we, you can just call me jason
0: <laughs> uh, so okay
2: do you
1: have your bleep machine on just in case <laughs> the nuclear powered one
2: there's, there's already a warning on the podcast. They, they, they know what they're getting
0: into. Yep. At the beginning of the podcast, we let them know that we, and I hit that little explicit button too.
2: Well,
1: my background is, uh, as a matter of fact, next week I'll be starting my 49th year as a police officer. Um, wow. I'm doing I'm doing part-time at the Mishawaka, Indiana Police Department doing cold case homicides. Uh, we've already solved, um, now within about six months, we solved a 42-year-old murder.
3: Wow.
1: And, yeah, um, three pukes. um, When they grabbed a 16-year-old girl, um, one of the guys, or actually all the guys knew who she was and, you know, schmoozed her or did whatever and basically conned her. And ended up killing her and took 42 years, um, 41 years, I guess, um, for somebody to uh, finally divulge what happened. And it ended up being uh, we went over and talked to this lady, and she was dying of cancer, and on you know the her door, she had a whole bunch of you know, God loves you, God be with you, and all that. so i I knew we knew that you know she's pretty religious, so went in and talked to her, and just basically her name was Shelley, and the victim's name was Shelley Werner, which is kind of coincidental, but
3: wow.
1: I asked uh, asked Shelley, you know what uh, what happened and she you know, I, I don't know. I remember. I, 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 you know, she kept going back mm-hmm. and forth. Yes, I know. No, I don't. I can't really remember. Yeah, I can. It, you know, just really, you could tell that she obviously knew, and um, she was she was not in great shape. So we talked to her for a little bit, and uh, I just kind of stepped in close to her, and I said, uh, "Shelly, there's uh, there's two people that know what you know." And she went, "Who, who, 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 who?" She she sounded like a an owl, and she was saying, "Who, who, who, who?" And I said, well, God knows. He's in your head and your heart right now. He knows. And she goes, "Who? who's, who's the other person? I said, Shelly, she's sitting up in heaven right next to him. But I'm going to tell you what, they're sitting on the bench right now. They sent me and they sent my partner. And you're going to remember. This is 41 years, Shelly. You're going to remember what happened. I'm sure you put it away and tuck it away, and you're going to know. And, and you'll call. Here's, here's my card. You call. So about three weeks later I was sitting there talking to a couple of people that uh, you know know my background And uh, all of a sudden my phone rings and I you know I kind of did the like shh, be quiet and I put it on speaker and it was her and she went Mr. Mister Corbett Mr. Corbett and I said Whoa, whoa! first off I'm not Mr. Corbett he died a long time ago I'm just plain old Tim and she said I, I never lied to you I just didn't tell you everything and these people are kind of looking like what, what's going on you know and she said i i know what happened i know who killed her i know who killed her and, um I, I you know i do know about the clothes that they burned and i i know it just i didn't like to you i just didn't tell you everything and i and i wanted to make sure we got it on audio and videotape just in case something happened to her and i said shelly i'll tell you what this um the the reception in this building really sucks would you mind if i just come over to your house she goes no please please come on over so we went over with the audio and videotape and uh She told the whole story, and based on that, uh, all three of these idiots are already dead. Two of them died a horrible death, good, of cancer. I hope it was painful as hell because of what they did to this little girl. And uh, the other guy was also dead, and we were able to put together enough probable cause to believe a crime has been, is being, or is about to be committed. Uh, So if if they would have been alive, we'd have had enough information to charge them, and I'm sure get a conviction. So we were able to uh, clear that case out. And one month later, our star witness was dead. And that's why I tell these guys, don't wait till tomorrow. I know it's late. I know you're tired. I know all the other crap. But You got to go get this stuff done because you don't know what could happen. That's a perfect example. If we hadn't went out and hustled on that, you know, we could have waited and said, ah, hell, you know, let's just do it tomorrow or whatever. She would have she would have been dead, and that secret would have went to the grave with her.
0: Right. You've got to strike while the iron's hot, and when people are willing to talk, you got to get your ass out there and talk to them. Um, well, is- I
1: think that's part of the problem now. You get too many of these, and I'm not knocking all cops or anything like that because Ellen's still one, but I see too much of this uh, sitting at the desk looking on the computer if I can't Google it or email it or text it or whatever, the the way you get stuff is get out and talk to people. Mm -hmm. You get the feel for them. They find out you're for real and you, you care and uh, uh, you have to just uh, displace a lot of this crap with systemic racism and all cops are racist and all that. Anybody that says that's a freaking idiot as far as I'm concerned, because that's not the truth. That's just what you say, um, you know, to get attention. It's like, you know, defund the cops. you know, hell! If I was a criminal, I'd want to defund the cops too. Less cops on the street, more sure. chance I have to commit crime.
0: Right, right. More money in your pocket. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. So I, I fight that stuff. I'm very vocal about it. Uh, matter of fact, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't like it, but uh, I don't care.
0: We are a, we are a very pro. Um police podcast here. Megan's husband is a police officer. Uh, We work very closely in our jobs with police officers. So we have tremendous respect for them. And what we always say is just like any profession out there, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And just because there's some bad ones, it can't outweigh the good ones. Um, You know, that's true for doctors, teachers, lawyers, anything.
2: Uh, most well, most, with most the, people I deal with assume I'm going to be an asshole anyway. So. That's
0: true. Plus your face kind of says it too yeah, sometimes. No,
2: well, too.
1: <laughs> well, the bottom line if, is on something like that, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I don't, I don't, we're not taking warm soapy showers. We're not going to be eating dinner together. So I don't honestly care what a lot, you know, what, what people think in that aspect, I don't listen to it. You just, you go out and do the right thing for the right reason. And, You know, all these years that I've been in, and I've I've handled over 1,100 deaths, put over 400 people in prison for just murders and light crimes. That doesn't count the sex offenses and burglars and armed robbers and all the other idiots. Um, Sure. But you got to want to do it. You got to want to be proud of what you're doing. And uh, I don't know, to me, it's always been an honor and a privilege, and I'll continue to do it till I'm dead.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. On this uh, 41-year-old case, wa- was a lot of her family still alive, and they were able to get some closure here with this? Well, the,
1: some of the family members were alive, but um, you know, they, ver- they were appreciative of what we did, but they didn't really want to get involved because they had been contacted in the past on different occasions. You get the highs of, I think we're going to get somebody, and nothing happens, mm-hmm. and the lows, and I think... At first, they probably thought, okay, this is just another dude calling, saying they're working on the case, and sure. they're going to put it together and blow Sunshine up our pant leg, but, um, you know, when we when we finally did it, you know, they thanked us, but uh, I understand.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. It would be, after that long of time, it would be really hard to get your hopes up and, and just see, like, okay, well, what the hell is going to change, and we're seeing... You know a lot more of that, even with the DNA and things like that coming back and really helping solve um, some of these older cases. But what would you say as an investigator? I know you're you're part-time police officer, but you have a private investigation um, business as well. What's your favorite type of um, case to pick up?
1: Murder, absolutely. Um, You know, in in a close second would be child molesters. Mm -hmm. I hate child molesters. I hate. I can't stand the fact with some bullshit thing of you're now a map. You're a minor attractive person. You're not a pervert. You're not a deviant. You're Mm -hmm. not a child molester. You're none of that because we want you to feel good about yourself. So we'll call you a map. I I hate those people. Um, You know, and I know a lot of people probably cringe when they hear that, but I do, you know, how would you like to, it's hard enough what people don't understand. Um, It's hard enough as an adult, if you've been, a victim of a sexual abuse or just make it easy. If you had to go into court in front of 12 people, the judge, the uh, court reporter, court bailiff, the witnesses, anybody who wants to walk in off the street, the defendant, the defendant's attorney, the prosecutor, and you as a full grown adult right now had to go in and describe your last sexual act Mm
3: -hmm. in
1: graphic detail from beginning to end Mm -hmm. as an adult, a lot of people would be, would be embarrassed about it, as adults but can you imagine you guys have heard those cases oh yeah where for a four-year-old has to describe how daddy stuck his nini and my tt and this and that, you know all mm-hmm. the all the descriptors that they give in their little childlike language and you have some piece of garbage sitting there making excuses I in the last two weeks I put two of those together um, with similar similar things and you know, these guys are always uh, somehow they're they always end up trying to be the victim. You know, you know always, how it is
3: that for
1: that four that year old, you know how sexy they can be. Mm-hmm. They enticed you. Mm-hmm. They made you get these
3: urges.
0: Yep. Yep. That um, if it's not the, the victim's fault, then it is something that happened to them in their childhood that they suddenly want to lean on and say that caused them to uh, do it. And I'll never forget one case that I had where um, this stepdad had digitally penetrated his 13-year-old stepdaughter over and over again. And he looks me straight in the eye and says, well, it's not like I picked her up and put her on my penis or anything. I mean, to him, he was justifying, I didn't do what I really wanted to do, so I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, and it's just oh, crap. I understand completely what you're saying. I think that a lot of people that come at this with, um, a different type of approach of, oh, you know, they're just, they're just trying to, um, whatever they say of, um, exercise their right for their sexuality and yada yada. They're not the people that have ever had to sit and interview a child about a molestation that took place. They're not someone who's had to sit there and and live through it in one way or another, whether being the victim or the loved one of a victim or a professional trying to help the victim. That's for damn sure because their take would, I think, in my opinion, would be vastly different. And if you've ever sat with... A perpetrator like that and had to share energy with them and talk to them, I think that it's glaringly obvious what they're really like. Um, and it's not just a, uh, you know, a being, oh my gosh, I lost the Justified. Words. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of just, oh, yep, yeah, what they have a right to freedom of expression of their sexuality and things like that. No, I, talk to them, like truly talk to them for five minutes, and you will see that they're there is a lot going real wrong in there yeah. as a human. Well,
1: these people, uh, you know, that feel like that, they're looking for some kind of cause until of course it's their daughter that this happened to. right? And then they're going to want to cut that dude's head up and stick right. in the camera bag. Yeah. If you're just expressing your sexuality, if that's your excuse. How about this? When we get you to prison, we'll find ten, ten 10 dudes in there with dicks like Pringle cans and, uh, thermos bottles. We'll give them, um, you know, about four or five Viagra. We'll strap you down to a chair and go, here you go, boys, now serving number one. When you need more (laughs) Viagra, just let us know because the guy shouldn't be complaining. They're just expressing their sexuality. They like to brutalize. It's just their way of showing their love for you. Mm -hmm. And so don't cry to me when that happens to you. Don't cry when you get your head busted in there. Because everybody has a sister, a mother, a niece, a daughter, and when they hear you're a chomo, you got problems. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't care what happens to them. My job mm-hmm. is to put the case together as good as I can, let the system do what the system does, and when you go to prison, uh, you know, that's that's not my problem. Nope. It's really not. And It's not
0: for you to I, worry about anymore. You've done your job.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, I, I I think they probably would frown on my idea, but I I thought it was pretty good.
0: (laughs) I actually am going to give you 10 points for creativity on that. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was amazingly creative. Have you ever thought of going into writing? I think you 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 should write a book.
2: Tim, I'm sorry. Tim, I know you've been dealt with all the criminals and you, do you find it odd or ironic that there's like that code of conduct among criminals that in, in the, correction system that they don't tolerate child molesters
1: yeah i i, I find it um you know it, there's different levels you go to prison as a cop killer you're a hero you're a big dope dealer you, you know you got you got some juice uh, you killed a couple people you got some juice but as soon as you say rape or chomo you are on the low end of the ladder mm-hmm. you you are the garbage even uh you know criminals They have a code of conduct, and I got to be honest, I respect the code of conduct because I've sat in front of people. uh, I've interviewed thousands of people, and they will describe to you, look, man, uh, I'm in a gang. I deal dope. A woman gets smart with me. I'll smack her in the mouth. I carry guns. I've shot people. I've done all that. But they wear their code of conduct like a badge of honor. They're letting you know what they are. They're not like like some of these politicians, most of the politicians that will smile on your face, tell you what you want to hear out of one side of their neck and tell the next person something else out of the other side of the neck. I would rather deal with somebody that will look you right in the eye and go, look, I know know what I am. I ain't a good guy. Mm -hmm. I I have that respect for them. Um, Do I go along with what they do? No, but you at least understand where they're coming from. But that code of conduct, there, there are things that are acceptable in the criminal world. And there are things that are punishable by death, and they set their own tone for what happens.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, many times, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've had them. Yeah, I did it. I, you're not going to disrespect me. You're not going to do that to my sister. You're not going to, you know, call my mom a name or whatever. So, you, you start dancing down that hallway. You know, it's going to be bad for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I think it should just really be um, illuminating for people to understand that not even criminals will tolerate child molesters. You know, I mean, I don't know how anybody like, can. I don't, no.
1: how can. I don't know how anybody I don't know how anybody can come up with a defense to justify
0: mm-hmm. that. I agree. I agree completely. So what is um, for 2023? What case are you most proud of? being able to to complete
1: um had a had a policeman's kid uh here here in our area who um had a little seven-year-old girl uh perform oral sex on him Mm. and of course he would you know you go to jail you gotta brag about that i mean everybody should be proud of that right oh and he happened to brag to someone that uh is is a friend of mine uh, on that And that person called me and said, "You're not going to believe this." Well, working on now, this was a this is all private through Corbett Investigations. This is all Mm private I stuff that I did.
3: Okay.
1: Um, And you know, I got all the information. And about uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks after he gave me the information, he calls me. He said, "Hey, man, you got a minute?" And I said, "Yeah, what happened? What's going on?" He goes, "This." f and meatballs what he called them he goes he wants his father-in-law killed so what he said yep wants his father-in-law killed is he called home to talk to his wife because you know of course you're my wife you should understand and stand by your man because it's you know it was only you know a couple of events and you know the usual i don't know where these guys come up with this stuff but oh,
0: um, or find yeah, women to he, stay with them Oh, yeah, how, de- gosh.
1: how how desperate are you? You, you, you know, if if you're a female and you stay with uh, you stay with somebody like that, there's something wrong with you. That dude can be replaced by a mannequin and a dildo, and you don't need a mannequin.
0: Amen. And, yes, that uh, is that's really what we tell a lot of listeners. You don't yeah. need a man. <laughs> no,
1: no. Nope. Um. In uh, anyway, this he, he called home. The father-in-law answered the phone, and he just ripped him up one side and down the other, and You know, of course, the the bad guy got all upset about that. He got butt hurt and he wanted the father in law killed. So, to get a murder for hire case, you have to, there's two main criteria. You have to name your target or describe your target. The target is Bill Smith. He's about 5'10, 180 pounds. He lives over at 123 Street. His house is purple. He drives a red car. He goes to work every day. Something of a descriptive nature to describe the person you weren't killed. And number two, you have to exchange some kind of channels, whether it's money, dope. Uh, I'm going to give you a car for killing them. I'll give you my tools for killing them. I'll sure. do something. You have to give some kind of product to complete that. Mm-hmm. So this dummy, he, he gives up You know who this guy is, where he sits at the kitchen table, what time he goes to work, what kind of car he drives, here's his name.
0: Oh, that's uh, scary. My, where he sits at the kitchen table? I'm going to start oh, changing that up, Tim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> are closing the curtains. Right. So anyway, <laughs> put point. put that one put that one, you know, got that one pretty well nailed down. He calls me a week later, he goes, Man, you ain't gonna believe this, MF. Um, he is he now wants his best buddy killed. What? What? what his so, best buddy do? Well, um his wife he he, <laughs> he called home and uh no he called the best buddy. And he you know, hey man, what's going on? He and their best buddy started ripping his ass. And mm. he said, man, you're going to prison for 100 years. You ain't going to have to worry about doing your wife anymore because I'm doing her.
0: Oh, so oh apparently, shit. He, you're right. Yeah,
1: he was. Uh,
0: I saw yeah, that one was, coming.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, he was taking care of business there. Well, and, you know, uh,
0: hey, good for her because her husband, you know, is after children. So I can see why she would need to move on. There you go. I so would have went he, farther than the best buddy, but you know that's just me. To each his own.
1: <laughs> so he, uh, you know, he, he said all that stuff, and uh, now he wants him killed. Here's who he is. Blah blah blah. So he he gets um, he gets his his grandma. He said, "Grandma, I'm gonna have somebody come over and uh, pick up a thousand bucks. It's for my attorney. Just give it to him." So all they had to do, the cops, were go over there and you know get the thousand bucks, and it's a done deal. Well, the particular department I, I worked with, they drugged their feet, drugged their feet, drugged their feet. So finally, I got real shitty, and I called the prosecutor. I called uh, the FBI, who I'd already talked to, and I called the police department. I said, I'm telling all three the same story. This is what's happened. I put the case together. All they got to do is go pick up the money. If something happens to one of these people, I'm going to be there for the press conference. When you guys are standing in front of a, that bank of microphones, Trying to explain why you couldn't work it into your busy schedule to go pick up a thousand bucks to finish this case. Well, guess what? They worked it into their busy schedule the next day and they got the guy arrested. So he got 30 years for the child molesting and he pled straight up to the case. cases that I had handed to the police. And they still had to do a little bit of work because they could do things as police officers that I couldn't, you know, as a PI, get search warrants and all that. But anyway, sure. Um, the guy pleads straight up to the two, um, the two murder for hires. He got 20 and 20 concurrent with each other, but consecutive to the 30. So oh,
3: he ended okay. up getting
1: 50 years
3: mm-hmm.
1: that, um, uh, I still have, you know, I just did another murder for hire over in LaPorte, Indiana. Uh, that guy wanted his, uh, ex-girlfriend, her boyfriend. And he thought maybe he wanted the baby killed too. What? Oh yeah, his yeah. baby or
0: their baby?
1: Their baby. You know, him and him and the woman split up, right? Uh-huh. And I guess she was the only one left in the world. Like, men and women are like buses. If you wait long enough, another one will come by. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're on a rotating schedule for most people. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, he he got uh, he got jammed up. That's why he was in in the county jail, and he uh, got all pissed off um and he wanted her killed him killed and you know then he thought about eh, I'm the baby but i got hooked up with um with a federal agency and um we were, we were able to they were able to also uh well we i guess um were able to put it together and he got jammed uh two counts of conspiracy to commit murder two counts of murder for hire and um He, at at the end, um, he was uh, was really surprised that uh, this whole thing came down like that, but everybody's safe, and um, you just, you have to move quick on these things. There's no time to be jacking around, because if you come to me and say, I want this dude killed, and I drag my feet and drag my feet and drag my feet, he's going to go to somebody else in the county jail and go, hey, look. Uh, Tim Corbett can't get this shit done, man. Can you get this done? Yeah. You got somebody out there. Here's what I'll pay. Here's what I'll do. And now somebody's head gets taken off. And what are you going to say, you know, to the, to the family? What are you going to say to the citizens? What are you going to say to the press? If you, you got an opportunity to go get that money, you go get that money right now, right now. And you make the case and you rip the guy off. Mm -hmm. If somebody, if somebody would have got killed in any of these, because, I don't care, cops or not, you're dragging your feet. I'm going to be standing in front of a bank of microphones and I'm going to say I will help the family of this victim sue everybody's ass off. This is <laughs> There is no excuse for this. And yeah. I, I, won't, I won't stand for that stuff. Don't tell me about the thin blue line and I'm a warrior and you got the tattoos and the Oakley glasses and the beards and all that, but it comes time to do the job. And it's, well, it's four o'clock. I'm going home. This can wait till Monday.
0: Yeah. Somebody
1: else can do it. I, I don't want to hear that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Your descriptions are killing me. I love it. How, OK, this might be a terrifying question that maybe the public doesn't really want to know. But how often do you guys run into murder for hire? Is it a pretty common situation? Like that's kind of terrifying to think about that. There's a lot um, of people out there willing to kill someone else for someone else for some sort of commodity.
1: I've done probably, I don't know, half a dozen of them.
0: Damn. Just in, you know, your area where you're located. So, like, think about that on a grand s- scale. That's, that's surprising. It just, I don't know why, but I just, I don't think about murder for hire a whole lot. It seems real risky to get somebody else involved in your murder scheme.
2: Unless it's strange. Well, that's because you're
1: stupid. That, that's because you're stupid. You True. know, these people, not you. Right, you, the right. bad guy, you're stupid. Um, you know, you're too lazy to even go put in your own work. Even even if you think about it logically, okay, it's that old saying, three can keep a secret if two are dead. Well, if I bring you into it, now there's two of us. And I know if you get your butt in a jam, you're liable to snitch on me.
3: Yeah,
1: I Now I'm the bad guy that's going to go kill somebody. You're paying me. Now, if you get in another jam, you're liable to snitch me out. I, I'm I don't know. I, I don't try and figure these out, these guys out. I don't try and do Dr. Phil. I don't care <laughs> about your tacky psyche. I don't care about any of that. I know what I have to do to make my case. I know what you are, and I know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So the rest of it, I, maybe you didn't get enough hugs. Um, your mommy breastfed you too long. You got too much raisin bran. I don't I don't care. I know you. you're trying to kill somebody. I know you molested somebody. I know you raped somebody. I know you did whatever the crime is, my job is to make the strongest case there is. And I always want them to go in and just go, you know what? I give, you got me. Cut mm-hmm. me, a, get, get me a, get me a break here if you can. Hey,
3: Tim, that's all. That's all I, Tim, I
1: do it.
2: I got, I, got a, I got a question for you. Actually two part question here. So okay. one, how do for your private investigating piece of your work, how do those cases come to you? Like how, like, how do they come to your desk?
1: Well, you know, you said earlier, brag. I, I don't, I'm not bragging. I'm just giving you a fact. I have a network of informants that I've developed over the years. I, ha- I have informants that have drafted people for me in jail where somebody will come up to them and say, hey, man, old school, I need to talk to somebody. You got somebody in my informant will call me and say, hey, man, I got a dude here who wants to talk to you about something. I just tell him right from the beginning, look, man, I don't know what you know about me. I'm, I'm going to be straight up with you. Don't is lie your, to me. Is
0: your nickname old school?
1: Cause that's no. Oh, no, really I think cool. it should no, be because that's,
0: that's, that's badass. Can we call you that now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get called a lot of things. I Some of them I respond to very kindly. Sometimes I respond to very violently, but I, whatever you want to call me, I don't care. I just think that but that would know, be
0: a hell of a, of a nickname to go by. Like, oh yeah, I know this man, old school. <laughs> That's, well, you, gotta you call know, my man.
1: Oh, yeah, in yeah in that world, you know, you've been around. That's what old school of is, course, but, right? Right. Uh, he, um, you know, we, we just we started talking. I said, you know, just don't don't lie to me, don't bullshit me. If you do, um, I'll spend the rest of my life getting even with you because I'm not putting somebody in prison for something they didn't do because mm-hmm. you you're trying to get out of jail card for, or get out of jail free card or whatever your deal is. Just tell me straight up. I'm going to check everything. And the first time I catch you lying to me or making stuff up, um, I'm going to break it off. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I'm going to deal. And I've, I've had great, great success with that. And I just get calls all the time. Uh, I just, they call me up and, man, Corbett, here's what's going on here. This is what, what I got. And, you know, what can you do? I got picked up on a, you know, a bullshit marijuana charge or something. And now you're going to tell me about a murder and you got a marijuana charge? I'll go to the prosecutor all day and try and get him a break on that because you're sure. stupid. You're going to smoke tomorrow as soon as you get out. Right. You're a shoplifter. You're going to get out tonight and go do it. You're going to get caught again and again. So I can take a molester off the street and put a, make a deal and put a shoplifter back on the street every day, mm-hmm. take a murder off the street, put somebody to smoke some weed, mm-hmm. uh, back out on the street every day. So, but you have to be, a man of your word. If you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. And you just, just straight up with them. Look, man, I can't do that. I can't wave a magic magic wand. You got 30 freaking years. You think they're just going to open up the door and let your dumb ass out. It doesn't work like that. And that's how I talk to them. I'm just honest with them. And, you know, I've, they know my reputation. I've, you know, I was in, I was commander SWAT and commander homicide for, 17 years and I've been in four police shootings and I've trained with Navy seals and, you know, I've, I've done a whole lot of stuff. So I'm not exactly, um, you know, a candy ass. I'm not the baddest dude in the world by by any means, but I'm not a candy ass. And if you come after me, then, you know, there's a good chance something bad's going to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to have those problems, Mm -hmm. but if you come after me or my family, um, there's a whole different side to me.
2: Hey, Tim, um, I, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot about private investigators other than what we see on, you know, TV and movies. So are you like, do you have to have a, since you were, I assume you at one point must have retired from law enforcement or did you? I did. did I, I retired. Reti- well, I,
1: what I did, I retired at, well, I didn't retire. I took another job in police work. I retired from uh, Saabin Police Department with about 22 years on, took over the homicide unit. For St. Joseph County um, I was there for about a year and a half and they got a new prosecutor and he used a dead police officer that was killed uh, when I was his captain um, as a political football and I stood up in front of a rally and told him to, um, how can I put this Get bent. to commit
2: to commit several
1: unnatural acts upon himself which <laughs> would require great great dexterity on his part
2: be, be fruitful and multiply uh, so <laughs> yeah. but so, so did you did you do you have to be like are you, do you have a special license as an investigator or just because of your background you just took that position
1: well i both i i had an obviously enough hours as a police officer to qualify, so it's just a matter of putting in um for the license if if you came uh down here and wanted to be a private i think now you have to do like i think it's three thousand hours it used to be a thousand maybe it's three thousand. Um, under Under a private investigator before you can get your own private investigator business license. Now, you can get a private investigator's license where you can work under somebody else immediately.
3: Oh, that makes so that, sense. So you, don't, okay. you don't
2: have to have that experience. If you so. want the private eye business for you, for you
1: you have to have those many hours under somebody else's license. Okay. If you want to just be a PI, you can get a license right away.
0: Okay. That, that makes sense. If you, but if you want to be on your own, that's when you have to have done the um, essentially like internship practicum with someone else. And
2: And then I, so are you, are you limited, I guess, two parts, are you limited to any kind of, I guess, what we would consider, you know, jurisdiction or you do just stick to Northern Indiana?
1: Well, I, I can go, I, I have another business that I do Corbett threat assessment consultants And I do, you know, uh, high risk, uh, you know, high risk training and um, active shooter training. But with that, that, I can go anywhere because I'm a consultant. Mm -hmm. So if somebody in Texas calls me and says, hey, my cousin was killed, I can do that work as a consultant. I can't go down there and call myself a PI or anything like that. You can get yourself in a jam
2: with that. So you just limited to the state you live or the state you're licensed in?
1: Correct. Okay. So in Indiana, I'm a, you know, I can go anywhere in Indiana, be a PI. If you asked me to come up to Michigan, uh, then I, I would do it under Corbett threat assessments, be a consultant in, in look into the case.
0: Okay. That makes so there's a lot little, of sense. little bit
2: of a loophole. If you wanted to be- go outside the state. Well, I
1: don't, I don't know if it would be a, a loophole, I guess it's just doing it within the, uh, within
2: the bounds of your other title.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, it will be doing it the honest way, no, you know, no cause by yeah. It, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Oh, that's really cool. I didn't, I guess I did not realize that what does, so in the threat assessment um, aspect of it, you essentially mm-hmm. can still do investigatory work. You're just assessing, right? Like the, uh-huh. it's just a different little bit of a different language that they use, but essentially yep. you're yeah. still collecting the information um, and evidence, things like that.
1: Yep. And with the, acti- or with the, uh, with the threat assessment, you know, I also do like let's um, say you have a company and you've been experiencing theft or whatever. I, I can come in, analyze your company, look at it. say, Okay. Here's where the, here's where the most likely the threat's going to come from you, your doors or your windows, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, do you have an active shooter policy at your building? No, we don't. Okay. So what happens if somebody comes in here and starts shooting your employees? Let me tell you. Next thing you're going to hear, hi, this is Attorney So and So, and your vicarious liability is going to hang you. You will be, they will be renaming your company after someone else. Mm-hmm. You can't bury your head in the sand. To get a threat assessment and active shooter training, every everybody should have that done, and yeah. it's it's just an absolute necessity. That burying your head in the sand and oh, I didn't realize this and I didn't realize that, that's not going to get it because they'll bring somebody in like me that. Uh, testifies at an expert level on that kind of stuff. And I will promptly hand you your ass and uh, you'll be done.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really, really good point. Um, Here in Michigan, not too long ago, even we had um, up on the MSU campus, they had an active shooter and they ended up, I believe going into like a bowling alley business, something like that. You know, just a business that was open to the public and mass murdered a bunch of people. And I, I, had thought at that time, like, God, it's almost like every public place needs to have some sort of protection or plan. You know, um, I, I work within childcare licensing right now and we make all daycares have an active shooter plan, emergency plan for what they're going to do, what their procedures are going to be. Um, it's just the, uh, the harsh reality that we live in here in America. Um, but, that really watching that stuff on the news was the first time I had really thought about, damn, it's scary to be a business owner, you know, right now where you can just walk in and and someone can, you know, wreak havoc on your business and then and then what? You know, for you. So you can come into businesses like that and give them advice, essentially, is what I'm hearing, right? On how to oh, best absolutely. protect themselves.
1: Yeah. Training, all of it. But, yeah. you know, when you think about it, you hear these people that I've heard it, you know, you go in, you talk to them. Well, we've never had an active shooter before. Um, <laughs> OK, well, what is that? So what? You never had cancer before. If you found out you had cancer, you're not going to go to the hospital.
3: Oh, right, stuff, right.
1: You, And you, and what do you practice? You know, we, we have a we have a pamphlet we give all our employees or our training about what to do in a storm drill in a tornado drill if you have a fire mm-hmm. okay you train for that if you had any of those at your place no then why wouldn't you have even if you don't care about your employees which you know you hope that's not like that why wouldn't you give them the training to survive
3: right. because
1: honestly you call the cops right now on an action by the time the police get there it people are going to be dead Absolutely. so you damn well better be able to fight you better mm-hmm. be able to figure out what you're going to do, not be the, the sheep that just follows the other people to the door where you're going to get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to realize that you have to self-contain and protect and be willing to fight for your life. Mm-hmm. And I've trained you know, over 10,000 police officers in, um, you know, handcuffing SWAT tactics, I risk warrant or barricaded subjects. Um, uh, I think I said handcuffing, knife fighting, coup baton, uh, side handle baton, uh, handcuff, you know, all sorts of things and an additional 3,500 women in personal self-defense and rape prevention. Yeah. And in that I've had a couple of women, cause we, I, I don't teach, you know, I hope this doesn't hurt. I teach go for the eyes and, mm-hmm. and uh, the lower abdominal area, yeah. i.e. your nuts yeah. and uh, to do the damage. And I've had a couple of women say, I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that to somebody. It's women. This guy might have AIDS and he's going to rape you. I, I couldn't, I can't do that. I can't take his eyes out. Mm. Um, ma'am, do you have kids? Yeah. How many? Three? How old? Eh, six, nine, 14. What, what do you have? Eh, two boys and a girl. How old's the girl? She's the 14-year-old. Then I Then I get into my predator voice. 14, huh? Let me tell you what's going to happen. I really like 14-year-olds and I'm going to die anyway. I got AIDS. So I'm going to rape your daughter and it's going to be brutal. And I'm going to do it several times because I can. What are you going to do about it? And I'm telling you what, when you start talking like that and now it's my kid and not me, Mm -hmm. that mama bear stuff, that is for real. These women's veins are poking out in their head because I'm being such an ass about it because I want them to feel that fury. I want them to know. And I, I look at them and go, now, you wouldn't do that for yourself. Don't you have something you want to live for? Maybe you like to bake. Maybe you like to fish. Maybe you love your kids. Maybe you hate your husband. I don't know. There's something in your life you want to live for, and I don't have the right to do that to you. And if you don't take them out, you stop them. Right. That's what we train. You stop. Right. You bury your two fingers to the back of their cranial vault. You rip their nuts off and juggle with them down the street and don't feel a bit bad about it because you survived.
0: Right. Exactly. I do and th- when they
1: hear that it's like yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So you went from a you know, like I said, a tree hugging whale saving earth muffin to I will protect my family and I will protect myself.
0: And you hope I always hope in situations like that, because when you're when we're just sitting talking about it, it does seem extreme to picture yourself putting your fingers through somebody's eyeballs, you know, but at the same Mm -hmm. token, when you're actually going through it and the threat is real. You do hope that, that that fight, flight, or freeze instinct kicks in and that you've got the fight in you. And I, I think I love hearing that you're doing trainings like this because I think that for women, if when they hear stuff like that and when they've actually been trained on it, it's more likely to trigger their fight response than it is their freeze, you know. Um, and, and even flight would be better than freeze, of course, but it is unnatural as humans. We shouldn't naturally want to harm other humans unless there is a threat to us. And in that case, we turn into our animalistic tendencies and hopefully can fight for ourselves. But I do think, especially for women, sometimes that can be hard to turn on, you know, Um, and and then there's some women that maybe have it in overdrive and they, they fight a little too much, you know, Jason, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, But, you know, it's good to it it sounds like Tim, your um uh services that you provide your community and beyond are really all encompassing for helping to keep people safe, helping them to protect themselves and helping uh-huh. them solve crimes against them when they can't turn to anybody else or where when maybe another department is too taxed and and unwilling or there's just that missing piece of evidence. I know that in the future, um, we're going to have you on um, when we can talk about the very first case that brought us together the first time we had you on. Um, And so I'm really, really looking forward to working with you on that once hopefully the justice system does, you know, their thing. But just in the meantime, I want, um, I don't know that a lot of people, I know listeners that we have listeners that have maybe considered hiring a private investigator for a gambit of things. I mean, do you ever get hired for things like, I think my husband's cheating on me. Can you help me with that? Or, you know, like from, I, I, I gotta
1: be, well, can I, yes. Um, um, I'm not real big on those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. There's, it's, it's really in Indiana. It's a no fault state anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, Michigan you walk in too. and go, yeah, Hey, I got pictures of your husband here and, uh, here, um, I've got this and I've got that. The courts are going to go. Yeah, great. Okay. Who cares? Yeah. Let's, let's divide up this stuff. Yep. Uh, yep. I will exactly. get involved. If kids are being abused, I mm-hmm. will get involved. If, um, a woman's been abused, Absolutely, I'll help with those kind of cases. Mm-hmm. But you know, my my uh, wife went shopping. She hasn't been back in four hours, and uh, she can't remember where her underwear is. I, you know, <laughs> I guess, Mister um, Husband, maybe you ought to do a little bit better job or something. I don't know <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in. I, I can didn't spend my time.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah my my time is better spent doing you know murder for hires and protecting women from you know, rapists and kids from being molested and that kind of stuff. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd rather do that than have to go to some dude and say, Hey man, maybe I'll read Kama Sutra or something. Mm -hmm. You got, you got like two moves laid on and get up and it ain't working.
0: (laughs) Missionary's not working for her anymore, honey. That's my advice. Um, (laughs) What, uh, what are the hardest cases for, do you feel as an investigator, the ones that are the most frustrating and the hardest to be able to bring to justice?
1: um well just about any case but i would have to say murder uh, murder i guess um because so many times people know stuff i don't want to get involved you know and and you know they they hold the ticket so what you have to do is think around that if you can't get them straight on tell me what you know most of them are criminals they're going to do something stupid so you just you do another case on them you know Mm -hmm. pick them up on a robbery pick them up on a burglary and a lot of these guys they hold that ace in their back pocket they know that you know, bookie shot tick tick or whatever, <laughs> and they're just not going to give it up. They're going to wait until they get jammed up with a dope case, and you go, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute." Yeah, uh, I'm now, a right yeah, I I'm a drug dealer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, I'm a drug dealer. But uh, boom, here's this ace. I I saw bookie shoot tick tick, and I I know where tick tick rather, and I know where the gun is, and I know and I know and I know. Uh-huh. So you you got to know what their Achilles tendon. In, in in all my years, if I've had five people go F you I ain't talking and really not talk I would be surprised I've had a lot of F you I'm not talking and then you know when you tell them hey cool I'm gonna put the case together anyway when you're uh when you're um spooning with some dude in uh, prison for about the next 50 years you let me know how good that decision is because I guarantee you that's what's going to happen your buddies who tell you they're your homies they're going to forget about you because they're going to be too busy trying to uh, nail your girlfriend, take your dope trade, kick your door in, kick your mama's door in. Mm-hmm. Even think about you. Mm-hmm. The only people that's going to remember you is your mom, and that's going to be it. And you're you're 18 years old, and I've listened to phone calls where these idiots are talking to their girlfriends and, oh baby, you gonna you gonna wait for me? They're talking like 50 years. This oh, girl gosh. is this girl is 18 years old, and she's going, oh yeah, I'm waiting for you. You know she's got her hand over the phone going. Hey, get that thing out. I'll be over there in two minutes. <laughs> Damn, right, right. How no. stupid are you? No. I'm going to wait for you. Sure. Yeah. yeah I'm going to so- wait for you about 30
0: seconds. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. So- I am glad that you said that, though. I was kind of hoping that you were going to say murder because – You know, every week we bring listeners a murder case. And a lot of times Megan and I will talk about there's there's frustration, you know, and there's a lot of it's easy to throw criticism at the investigators or why wasn't this solved sooner and stuff like that. And what it really boils down to is because it is really freaking hard. It's not easy work. It's not a system. You can't just blame the person. You may in your gut know exactly who did it, but it, there's a system in place for a reason so that hopefully innocent people don't end up getting pinned for something that they didn't do. And so the, you know, the burden of proof is, is called a burden for a reason because it's, real hard to come up with that without somebody having some sort of confession or a deathbed confession or you know DNA evidence is helping now but still it's it's hard so I'm really really glad to hear you say that because I think that sometimes it just gets too easy to blame the investigatory work that's done um, or the the way that deals have to be made to just to even be able to bring some sort of justice you know Um, and it's it's can be heartbreaking for the victims' families, of course, but some justice is definitely better than no justice. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm really glad that you uh, had said that. But is there how can how can our listeners reach you? Your- well,
1: it's Tim Tim Corbett C O R B E T T Corbett Investigations in Granger, Indiana. I have a website. I've also done some podcasts on there called killer catchers where we've talked to family members and had them come on and say what a great job the cops have done and it's not they're not the way you think they are and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but I can be reached at uh, tim at tcorbett.org. tim at tcorbett.org or this phone um, that you call me on 574-229-8115
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, it's always a pleasure having you on with your, you're just a breath of fresh air because I feel like everybody who meets you, Tim, knows exactly what they're getting. They know where they stand with you. And I like that about you. It's how yeah, Megan, you're, Jason, you're, and you're I, our kind of people. You're Tim. definitely are kind of people. That's how Megan, Jason and I operate our life as well. And so, um, Feel free to stay in contact. I know um, on that other case that I was being vague about, but it's because we're gonna we'll we'll bring it to the listeners when it's ready. Um, so I know that we'll have you on again and be in touch again. But time that you've got something real important that you want to bring to us, just reach out to me, and we'll be happy to have you on again.
1: Well, I I appreciate it, and I know uh, you know sometimes, and I've toned my language down a little bit, but sometimes my language can be harsh. I get that. <laughs> But I'm very, I'm very, very passionate about what I do, um, mm-hmm. and I, I just, uh, I'm just one of those people that I'm not going to back up, I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to go away, I'm not going to capitulate, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear because it's politically correct. My job when I swore in, and I don't want this to sound grandiose, and mom, apple pie, and Chevrolet, and all that crap, but when I swore to that badge that I, I took that oath uh, it, it, that's what it means to me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. That's what it means to me. Um, and you, you just do the right thing. You do the honest thing. You do it all the time. And, uh, that's, that's how I conduct myself. Okay. So I have, it must've worked cause I have two sons that are police officers. So, Oh, wow. Uh,
3: yep. Yep.
1: It must've worked or we, all three of us didn't pay attention in high school and <laughs> Um <laughs> I I know I'm not going to be a greeter at Walmart. I've seen myself naked so I know the adult film industry doesn't want me. So I yes. guess I'll just keep
2: <laughs> I'll just keep doing this. You
0: know what? You'd be surprised Tim. There's yeah. all kinds of of people out there with OnlyFans. Yes.
2: Everybody's got a niche.
0: <laughs> That's right. There, there is a we're, we don't kink shame here, and there, there's a kink for everything. So I bet there's a market that would <laughs> would like them some Tim Corbett. So don't sell yourself short, buddy.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know I don't know what you would call it. Maybe sweeter, neater, with a lot less Peter or something. I don't know. It <laughs> could be a series.
0: <laughs> oh man we're gonna have to talk after this i think i think we could start a whole new franchise with that one
2: <laughs> yeah, he and, and west would have fun like that.
0: that's right okay.
1: well thank you i yes. appreciate it and uh you know if any of your people out there listening want to call and they need help or they want a suggestion or ideas or whatever call me
0: okay all right all right jason you know because it's kind of your thing that we do brain baths on this podcast. Yes. So Brain Bath and Beyond, Jason. That's right. Here we are. And uh, have you ever been to Nashville? No. Oh god. It's on my list. Yeah, it's got to be. So we're we're frequent flyers of Nashville. Okay. But this recent this this recently surfaced in the news and I had to bring it to the listeners cuz everybody that listens knows I love Nashville. Uh so how about this? Why is Nashville? This is actually from Whiskey Riff, but there's plenty of other Plenty of other uh, Whispy, people wispy who riff? W- whiskey yeah wispy wispy riff. Um, I'm gonna I, instead of reading you the title as I ordinarily would, I'm just gonna tell you the story. Okay. Okay. Ready. Says why is Nashville so ruthless? Maybe it's because everybody goes to Nashville for one reason and one reason only: to get absolutely shit drunk, blacking out, throwing up, waking up somewhere you're not supposed to, getting robbed by three women after you show after they show you their boobs and act like your friend true story i know a guy your only hope is that you don't wind up in jail or worse and you know what worse is how about spending 1200 bucks driving all the way back to alabama in an uber ride oh so here it is this is from a few weeks ago this wrote this guy wrote in and said a bunch of us went to nashville for a bachelor party for one of my best friends we're all alabama grads roll tide And I still live in Tuscaloosa, but most of the other guys have moved away, so it was pretty much a college reunion. We hit the bars downtown early, and we hit them hard, and pretty soon, every drink was basically just a double shot of whiskey. Not good. We were ripping shots and also shooting our shots with every bachelorette party we met. There were a shit ton of them, and there really are. It wasn't even that late on the first night. We were there, but after drinking the whole day, we ended up at Kid Rock's bar. That is my favorite bar. That is where you can find me if I'm Shout ever in Nashville.
2: Lovely place. It is
0: awesome. They do have wonderful music. Seriously, it's awesome. More shots, more beers, and somehow in my blacked out state, the beer I was holding slipped out of my hand as I was leaning over the railing on the second floor and it shattered on the floor beneath them. And you know, I we have always, we've stood in Kid Rock's Bar and we usually go to the second floor and you can look down there into the first floor and I've always wondered like how many times that happens because we see people holding their beers as they're leaning on those railings. Their their beer is over the railing. And I, that's why I don't like to be on the first floor because I'm afraid of a beer hitting me. You
2: should offer free helmets if you're on the bottom floor. For
0: sure. For sure. But it's interesting because I had, a, I had wondered how many times that happens. He says, well, we obviously got kicked out pretty quick and I decided that I'm just going to call it a night and head back to the Airbnb. I was already pretty fucking drunk at that point anyway, so it was probably for the best. Except somehow in my drunken state, when I called the Uber, instead of putting in the address for the hotel, I just clicked home. I guess I thought the Airbnb was home for the weekend. You can probably see where this is going. I stumble around and finally meet up with the Uber and pass out pretty soon as I get in the car. When I finally woke up, I realized that I'm not at the Airbnb, but back home in Tuscaloosa because I had set my destination as home. At this point, the bachelor party weekend is already fucked for me so i just get in my bed and pass out and wake up the next morning to see that the ride back home cost one thousand two hundred and fifty three dollars fucking nashville
2: well they have i have no idea geographically how far tuscaloosa is from nashville well gotta be a couple hours
0: yeah i'm thinking he did follow up though and say that the like the plan had been there had been to be there for three days and this was the first night so, after his buddies connected with him in the morning, he did drive back and he just partied the rest of the weekend with them, too. So, you know, it's within however many hours, but yeah, $1,200 Uber and you fare. Gotta, you
2: got to think the Uber driver probably should have woke him up and be like, Are you sure that this is where, yeah. this is where you am? But want
0: at the same to token, he's like, This is paying my mortgage.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, so, it's a good night.
3: I'm right. going to get home late. And, and, and I money. only
0: have to deal with this one drunk asshole who's yeah. asleep. What a peaceful night. I bet he could have made $1,200 doing how many trips with drunken bachelorette parties and it would have annoyed him all night? That was easy money. Yeah. Easy money. Passengers yeah. asleep. He's just got his music racking up those dollar bills. I don't Kind you of ever, smart. Kind you of smart. In the
2: car and wake up somewhere you weren't supposed to be? Never.
0: Ever. I'm not a public intoxication. Know, you know, know this about me. I don't let myself get like that. But I so. told you the
2: story about, uh, I've played, I don't know if this is PC, but I've, I've, I've played Trunk Monkey before.
0: <laughs> I don't and know and what that probably,
2: is. We should probably research that and make sure I can say that. <laughs> okay. Well, anytime.
0: Somebody gets in the gotta trunk. Someone's got to ride in the trunk. Uh, okay. You oh, driving yeah, a, yeah, sure, driving sure. a
2: sedan, you got seven people and there's yeah. just not enough space. And Sure. We've, my friends and I in college were pulled over because we had too many people in the car without seatbelts on. So we mm-hmm. were like, well, who's riding trunk? I got ya. And I've done it a couple times. Wow, you can fit in a trunk. I mean, a decent size See, a sedan, I would be the not one like to a Honda have. Civic. Okay,
0: yeah. Like I don't but know like, how you. I
2: I did in college. I I was in the trunk, and then we were. I, I mean, we were boozing. Sure. And they forgot about me. Oh. Mm. And like no. it was like a solid hour and a half later, and one of my friends was like, "Holy shit, Jay's in the trunk!" And they went and got me and like woke me up, and I'm like, "Are we home?" He's like, "Yep, just got home."
0: I can't believe you didn't <laughs> die.
2: Well like first were, of all, fuel emissions. It, it was winter.
0: Oh. And God. like luckily I
2: didn't freeze to death. Yeah. It, they're like, dude, you good? I'm like, yeah.
0: And I'm good. there's enough air. And this explains so much. That right. might have caused well, brain damage. And the
2: other time I was in the trunk for like fifteen minutes. And I was visiting my friend at, at, who was in law school. And a bunch of his friends, they were all in law school. And I'm like the older guy who's definitely not in law school. <laughs> like i am not the the last week (laughs) this was like this was like 10 years
0: ago oh my god
2: maybe more and so they're like hey we only have you can only fit four or five people in the car i'm like i'll ride in the trunk and they're like what i was like yeah no it's cool we're not going far right and they're like no it's like 15 minutes away i'm like all right i'll ride in the trunk so i get in the trunk and there's a case of corona in the trunk
0: this one you did tell and me I'm about. Like, you I'm drank like, it, I s- didn't I s- you? I
2: cracked into like three of those before the ride was open. So they popped the trunk. Before the ride was over?
0: What did I say? Open. open. Before yeah. it was over. <laughs>
2: the beers were open.
0: Oh, my but God. Th- like How do you drink in a trunk? I mean, come on.
2: Like, I'll find a way. Like, it wasn't, I kind of had to tilt. It wasn't comfortable. I mean, I'm in the fetal position, kind of tilt my head and just pouring it down my face.
0: And, and what if you had choked? There was no on one the to
2: the bottle? I wasn't deep throating <laughs> it.
0: I'm the I'm not liquid. Choke
2: on liquid.
0: I mean, I do. Sometimes I choke on my own air. Oh I my god! I'm a so the best in part was general. they open
2: the trunk, and I'm like, "Hey guys!" And there's like empty bottles falling out of the trunk, oh and my they're god. like, hey, "Like my friend, like where the fuck did you find this guy?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, guy? that's my friend." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "That's my friend Jay."
0: <laughs> oh my god! I still just can't picture. If you guys, how tall are you? 6'2"? two. two. Uh, and, and I mean, you're not a large man, but, yeah, but still,
2: was, a, it, oh
0: it, my God.
2: It wasn't. I mean, this was, and this was like a, you know, a Taurus.
0: Oh my, oh no. So yeah, like, I used to drive a Taurus. Yeah. Uh, d- uh, that's right. I've I mean. tried. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a special license.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was fun. I And other than that, I mean, oh, I, I can't f- remember any other times where I like got in a car and.
0: No, no, I've. Uber drivers don't put up
2: with it. Like they're not thrilled when you're that drunk.
0: No, definitely not. I have, I do have some friends who, um, actually was in Nashville, not with me at a separate occasion. They were there by without me, but, um, one of the girls did throw up in the Uber, oh, and they no. had to clean it up so that he wouldn't like mark them as you know unacceptable yeah. drivers because they rate you, and I Red think that that's em. fair. They should be able yeah. to rate you as you're a passenger reading, you're as well. Your driver. Yep. Yep, I like that you can be rated as a passenger Absolutely. as well.
2: Yeah, Last summer. some. Lasts that, would,
0: that would be horrible. Somebody throws up in my vehicle. Yeah. Oh, f- no. Well,
2: this was just in the spring. I was in Columbus, Ohio with my friends for his birthday, and we were out all day drinking, and there was four of us, and we took an Uber home, and, of course, we had to get, like, a minivan because two of the guys were very large. And the other guy just, he passed out in the back seat. And he, wa- he didn't puke, but we had to carry him, mm. like, out of the van. Mm. And
0: the
2: mm-hmm. driver's like, just get him out.
0: Right, right. Not not impressed. Yeah. Not like, impressed.
2: Yeah. It was not a f- one of our finest moments yeah. as, as almost 50-year-olds.
0: We do, whenever we take an Uber into Nashville, we talk to them about like, because it's, you know, Friday or Saturday night, whatever, and they're like, yeah, I will usually stop working by like 9.30. It takes a special type of Uber driver yeah. to want to keep working beyond that, but anyway all right so shout out to all the uber workers out there if yeah. you're ubering right now keep it up we need people like you thanks for getting people home safely four stars that's Cause, right
2: because we oh. were because we were told back in the day don't talk to strangers on the internet and don't get in a car with anyone you don't know and now it's to encouraged so sure why not right let's right, do it
0: exactly oh gosh all right thanks y'all for listening we hope in the meantime that you keep it curious and this jay this is where you say it, and keep listening
2: and keep listening all right, bye-bye bye-bye Thank you.